Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Coming to near the end of a series in 1 Corinthians 13, the, uh, the love chapter. It's the uh, clearest, most definitive picture of love in Scripture. And thinking about it this week, maybe the clearest, most definitive picture of love really anywhere. Uh, it's a very good definition. I opted to spend uh, 10 weeks doing a sort of a deep dive into one chapter of Scripture because uh, I'm convinced uh, that this is really the future of the church. That uh, looking at where we are today, what's happening in in the church and culture and the world around us as we move kind of through the remainder of the 21st century, I I think it will become uh, the defining characteristic of churches. It won't be theology or, uh, you know, programs or buildings or numbers. Uh, it'll be learning to love. Does the church love? Last week, we said uh, love does not insist on its own way. Uh, rather, it exhibits a willingness to listen. And, and to uh, yield to others, to put the value of a relationship above being right. And uh, again, I just feel that that is significant, uh, you know, for the time that we live in. To put the value of a relationship above being right. I, I believe that that will be one of the key factors Christians will absolutely have to embrace uh, if the church is to have any influence at all uh, in, in the rapidly changing world we live in. So uh, the next little uh, phrase in this passage is, love does not delight in evil. You can put that one up for me if you want, if you haven't already. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Uh, I'm going to pray one more time. I know I've already prayed twice, but what the heck? Lord, uh, enlighten uh, your word for us today. Help us to really grasp a hold of it in a way that makes a difference in how we live and how we think and, and hopefully in how we love. Amen. I don't know about you, first thing I noticed here, kind of an interesting juxtaposition, um, evil and truth. Normally, those two things wouldn't be the opposite of one another. When you think of evil, what's the opposite of evil? Good, yeah. Good and evil, right? That's the, that's the classic sort of clash. How many superhero movies are there out today based on the clash between good and evil, right? Uh, the evil villain terrorizes Gotham City or wherever, and the good guy rides in on his white horse or with his bat wings or however he gets there, and he defeats evil. And that's, 
That's how it's supposed to work. It's not good and truth, it's good and evil. Likewise, uh, truth, the opposite of truth is a lie, falsehood, truth and falsehood. That's the opposite. Uh, you know, it's George Washington proverbially declaring, you know, I cannot tell a lie. It was me. I chopped down the cherry tree. No more cherries for you, young man. Uh, but here, the, 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 the clash is between evil and truth. So I want to dig into that a little bit today. Uh, let's, I want to look, look at the latter part of the equation first. The word truth uh, in Greek is aletheia, and you can put that uh, slide up for me, Doug. It's an important concept in Scripture. This word, aletheia, shows up in the New Testament 109 times. And in every one of those times, it's translated into English as the word truth. Now, that seems obvious, but it's not. It's unique in that so many Greek words are translated contextually and they become the same Greek word as diff- a, you know, a bunch of different words in English based on the context. But this one, every single one of those 109 times, it's truth. Not only that, it's really unique in that in, in every English translation, we're looking, I believe, I think that's NLT, but in the NIV, NRSV, King Jimmy, in uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, The Message, if you look at 12 different translations of Scripture, this word will be truth in every one of them. It'll never vary. Truth is truth. Now, the first part of the equation is a little different. The word we read in NIV uh, as evil, and you can put that one up for me, is translated uh, in the New Living as injustice. In the NRSV, it's wrongdoing. In King James, it's iniquity. And uh, opposite of truth, if you look this word up uh, in a number of different translations, you'll find that it's different in many of them. Um, so it's a little less clear as to exactly what it's getting at. The Greek word here is adikeia. Uh, it's also an important biblical concept. It shows up 93 times in the New Testament. Uh, as we noted, though, it's translated a number of different ways. And this word, sometimes the same Greek word is translated into two different English words in the same translation, where it really is translated contextually. So it can be a little confusing. What, what exactly is this word evil? The, the essence of it is this. The essence of it is unrighteousness. Uh, what it's really getting at is it's a violation of God's standard. God's standard being uh, justice, fairness, equality, and the opposite of that being depriving someone of what is rightfully theirs. So, in effect, it's this. It's treating another person with anything less than what they deserve. That's evil. A person whoever they are, deserves to be viewed, to be honored uh, as a child of God. They're created in the image of God, and and they are therefore of unsurpassable worth. Every single person deserves that. That's their right, so to speak. So what Paul is saying here, in effect, is that treating someone uh, 
in any other way is in opposition to the truth. It's a lie. If I treat you in a way that's less than that, I'm living a lie And according to the various translations we read this morning, that is wrong, it is unjust, it is sin, and it is evil. So I want to, I'm going to paint with broad strokes here for a minute this morning. Uh, And I want to look at some of the ways in which injustice, unrighteousness are carried out in our context. And by our context, I mean really simply here in the United States, okay, we're all aware that there's a lot of injustice in the world, right? Um, and, 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 and some of us might be more aware of certain injustices, and, and we, you maybe contribute financially or support certain causes that fight injustice in a certain place. Uh, and all those are, are beneficial. Those are all good things to do. But at the end of the day, we can't have a huge impact on all of the injustice that takes place in the world But maybe, just maybe, if we come together, the body of Christ, we can impact some of the injustice that takes place in our midst, that's around us. It begins, I think, first of all, by acknowledging the reality that injustice is rampant in our world. There's a lot of injustice that takes place around us every day, and, and we, as the American church, and I say this, you know, cautiously, but we're, we're, we're not always, you know, who we think we might be. I was, uh, I know, I read the newspaper. Some of you don't. I get that. I understand. But I do. In this week's uh, Oregonian on Wednesday, in fact, there was an article about two underage girls, very underage, that were trafficked from Vancouver, Washington, to Eugene, and sold into prostitution. And when I hear that, I I have to say, we have a problem. That's in my backyard. And and, and if we think America is a Christian nation, and that we're all Christians, or 81% of us anyway, and that everything is coming up roses in the city of roses, we need to reevaluate We've got to come to some sort of terms with the idea that there is injustice taking place around us all the time. There's a, uh, an organization within the Vineyard Movement. If you could go to the next slide for me. I want to make you guys aware of this morning. You may not have ever heard of Vineyard Justice. Vineyard Justice Network is the, the full name. And this is a really cool organization. It's a collaborative effort. Uh, it work, they work with vineyard churches on identifying and highlighting what is happening uh, in terms of injustice in our culture, and then how can we counter that. And uh, they highlight some of those things and provide opportunities for churches to get involved. Um, There are some actually, I, I would really encourage you to Go to the website and read some of the position papers as well as some of the, some of the other uh, information that's there. There are some really cool things happening, not only in the area of human trafficking, but uh, poverty in general, uh, creation care, racial reconciliation, immigration. Uh, take a look at this because all of those are various forms of injustice that are, that are happening around us in a world that we live in today. Um, and I think it's it behooves us, if, if we are who we say we are, to first of all acquaint ourselves with what's happening. 
to be aware. And second, to begin to look at some of the solutions. And again, there are creative ideas presented in terms of grassroots, sort of local church-based efforts uh, to fight against injustice in various communities. And I, I really, again, would encourage you to do that because why? Next slide. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love does not rejoice at injustice, but does rejoice when truth wins out. So we said truth is truth. And uh, that's pretty straightforward. But I want now to to really expand the definition just a, a little bit. When we think of truth, most often, most of us, uh, we, we, we think primarily of speech, right? What we say. You, you speak the truth, right? And, and we teach our kids to tell the truth. Don't lie. So when we, when we hear the word truth, most of our attention, that's sort of what, what we're thinking about is things that are said. And, and while that's certainly true, it really is more than that. I said this is, in the beginning, an interesting juxtaposition between evil and truth. So here's the deal. The the deal is this, that truth exists not just in spoken word, but truth is also what we do. Truth is how we live. Um, This is a definition, go go one more slide for me, Doug, from Strong's Concordance. If you look up the, the Greek word as it appears, what does it mean? Truth, not merely truth is spoken, Truth of idea, reality, sincerity. Truth in the moral sphere. I, I like that part. Truth in the moral sphere. Divine truth revealed to man and straightforwardness. It's more than what we say. It's really truth that is in our minds, in our hearts, and in our actions. It's how we choose to live. Love rejoices when truth wins out. And when oppression, that, that means when oppression is broken, when racism is stopped, when injustice uh, is, is, is taken apart and reconciliation is put back together. Love rejoices when the people of God see inequity and uh, uh, inequality and injustice and unfairness, and they intervene. They say, you know what? I can't just stand by while these things are happening. When those injustices are taking place in the lives of other people, I can't just stand by and watch that. And who, who might that include? Who, who might it, he be talking about here? You know, John uh, tells us to love one another, right? And so when John says love one another, who does that include? Is it believers only? Is it believers that agree with me only? I'm going to give you a little uh, biblical interpretation principle right now. And this is, this is why you come here, because you're just not going to get this anywhere else. Very often, today, scholars, Bible commentators will utilize Paul's writings to interpret Jesus, and, and that's how much of the commentary that's written on the New Testament is, is geared today. 
I would suggest that that's out of order. I would suggest that we look at Jesus to interpret Paul's writing because I think it makes a difference. And so when we consider who do we love, who does it include that we stand up against injustice regarding, I would simply ask the question, who did Jesus love? And then it becomes a little clearer to me. Uh, Certainly the poor, that's well documented, right? Uh, Women and children would seem a given, but not really. Certainly not in Jesus' time as he was writing, and not always today. But Jesus loved them. Foreigners, immigrants, refugees. Do you know that in loving the way that he loved, that Jesus transformed language? Today, uh, a Samaritan is a good person. A Samaritan is somebody that helps other people. We have a hospital here locally called Good Samaritan. It's a place of healing. It's a place where people go to get better. Do you know that in Jesus' story, the Samaritan wasn't a good guy. The Samaritan was the outsider. The Samaritan was a foreigner. The Samaritan was, frankly, the illegal alien at the border trying to get across. That's who the Samaritan was. Love rejoices Love rejoices when there are immigrants at the border that want to come into our country. And instead of saying, we have to keep these people out, it says, why are they here? Why are they here? Nobody just ups and leaves their home for no reason. Oh, Oh, by the way, Honduras is one of the most dangerous places in the world to live. They have the highest murder rate on the planet. And the drug traffic that goes from Colombia into the United States of America runs right through the middle of Honduras. And if you live there when your child's 13 or 14 years old, it's very likely that they'll be conscripted into a gang to help transport those drugs. And so what do you do? You do the only thing that makes any sense. You leave and you move your family to a place where you can be safe and raise your kids without fear. And you hope You hope that somebody somewhere says, welcome, let us help you. That's truth. Love rejoices at truth. Love does not delight in evil. Let me uh, look at a quick outtake from Vineyard Values Statement, if you would. Again, this is Vineyard Core Beliefs and Values We lean toward the lost, the poor, the outcast, and the outsider with the compassion of Jesus and sinners whose only standing before God is utterly dependent on the mercy of God. This mercy can only be truly received inasmuch as we are willing to give it away. A couple things stand out to me in that statement. The first is this, that uh, it comes from God. That compassion 
is not inherent in me. It comes from him. And we've said throughout this whole series about love that love increases when we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit into our heart and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And as, as we take the presence of God into us, uh, we grow in the image of God and we, be, we recognize that we're created in the image of God. And then the second part of that, and this to me, this really is, is the key to all this, that can only be received. We can only really receive that presence, that awareness in our own life in so much as we are willing to give it away. That's how the whole process works. We, we get more of God when we give more of ourselves. So, um, could I give you a little touch of pastoral counsel this morning? Look, life is hard. When life is hard, when things are difficult, when you're having a tough time, consider this, just maybe instead of, look, look, Ask your friends for prayer. Look for God. Look to God to help you. Do, do what you can do. But maybe, maybe in addition to that, get outside of yourself a little bit. Do something kind for someone else and see what happens in your own heart when you do that. And, and see if your situation doesn't improve by the sheer nature of you giving of yourself to others. I'm gonna, uh, I want to close today by telling you a little bit about a friend of mine. And I, I think I've mentioned her to you before, uh, but I'm going to again today. So uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I got a phone call, uh, and a gal was asking about volunteering at our food pantry. I said, sure, and I gave her the information. And on Thursday morning, Gail showed up to, uh, to serve. Gail is in her mid-80s. Uh, she's not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but she has a home and a car, and she gets around, you know. Gail is, <laughs> she's a writer. She writes uh, these funny mystery novels, and they're they're cute and funny. Um, uh, she's really just full of life, you know. She's very active and very fun. Uh, she loves to kid around, and her and I get along really well at the pantry because if you know me, you know I love to kid around and poke fun at people, and we poke fun at each other, and uh, it, it's really, it's really a, a fun time. I look forward to it every week, and uh, she's there every Thursday morning. Every Thursday morning, seven a.m., she's there, and she sweeps out the garage, she takes out the trash, and then she looks for holes, anything that's low. She starts stocking shelves, and then about eight thirty, our truck comes in from Oregon Food Bank, and uh, one of the guys will get a hand truck and wheel cases of food into the pantry, and then Gail will unwrap them and put them all away. And this sometimes that's 1,000, 1,500 pounds worth of food. Um, so she's there until usually, you know, 10, 30, 11, and then uh, she's done and, and she, she takes off. So recently, last just a few weeks ago, Gail began having trouble with her vision. She went to the doctor, and the doctor told her what's wrong, and I don't remember the name of it, but it's bad, and they're going to have to do surgery and basically take her eyeball out of her head and cut it open and do a bunch of stuff, put it back in, and hope that it works, but there's no guarantee. But here's the thing. Um, 
it's already affecting her. She, her. Her vision is diminishing fairly rapidly, and she can no longer drive. She told me this, and I, I told her, God, I'm so sorry, Gail. And, you know, I, I hugged her and told her I'd be praying for her, uh, thanked her. And I didn't expect to see her after that. She can't drive. She always drives herself here. And the next week, I pulled in about 8 o'clock, and her car wasn't in the parking lot, but the garage door was open. I thought, that's weird. Somebody left the door open. <laughs> Usually when the door gets left open, it's me. But uh, in any case, I poked my head in, and there's Gail in their stocking shelves. I said, what are you doing? She said, well, I got my son to drive me here today because I can't just stay home and do nothing. I got to help. So Gail has found life in giving. And like love, Gail rejoices when the truth wins out. Why don't we uh, stand? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.